The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. On this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, the conference semifinal round just finished with a few surprises. We look at the games and also talk about our playoff format gripes. Kyle Martino announced that he is going to run for U.S. presidency. We talk about how that's going to affect the race and other national team news. All this on this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Oh, hello and welcome, Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast, Stephen Jodder and Amar and Kafai. We're back. We are back. A couple days extra off, not the normal weekly schedule. We, we need it. I, I feel rejuvenated now. Oh, I'm so excited. What a fantastic show we got ahead for you. Now, let's jump right in, Armand. Cut with the pleasantries and let's get straight to it. MLS playoffs. And um, I don't know where to begin. Conference semifinals. Have been interesting to say the least. To say the least, Stephen. To say the least. I mean, we started on Thursday night, ended. I think we both watched five games of soccer on, on Sunday. Sunday. Oh my god! I mean, what a day! What but, a day! But, but hey, let the listeners know how you missed every key moment. Okay, I let me. I gotta tell the listeners. Now, I you got up, you watched Arsenal City, and I have to admit, Armand City is wow, impressive. Arsenal though. As an Arsene Wenger hater, I want him out. They looked good. They, looked good. They, they didn't crap themselves, you know? They didn't do yeah. that. Then you move to Chelsea, Manchester United. Interesting game. Uh, Chelsea with Antonio Conte, who is by far the best manager in the world. He's awesome. Fun guy to watch. Fun game. Oh, I love him. Love him. I wish he he's come to MLS. At some point in his career, I hope he comes to MLS because, oh, I would be covering him like there is no I would I would have a biography on Antonio Conte and I would tell you what he eats for breakfast. I would tell you what he ate for breakfast when he was 5 years old. That's kind of weird. I, I Anyway, don't, I don't, then you move into the afternoon games, right? Red Bulls Toronto. I missed the goals. I missed the halftime debacle. Then I go into the afternoon game. New York Red Bulls Columbus. I missed both goals. I'm too busy flipping through my computer that I took a two-minute break, accidentally clicked out of the ESPN tab that had the game streaming, turned back, Armand texts me, of course I miss it. Then the evening game, 
both all three goals I missed. The first two I was cooking, so I had to game. I was just turned around from my computer, and then the third goal, Armand texts me, "Oh, what a fantastic goal!" And I'm in the middle of watching the game on my phone, so I go flip to the text message, turn back, and I missed that. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But let, let, let's just go straight to the games, and we want to quickly go through all them because I think they they set up an important topic. We'll we'll get to, but Seattle. Beat Vancouver in Seattle on the second leg Thursday night. Clint Dempsey with the brace in the 56th and 88th minute. Um, and for for a rivalry, Castadio Cup rivalry, what a joke of a game. Vancouver Whitecaps manager Carl Robson comes after the game. Quote, it's not acceptable because you need to put shots on target to score goals. We got in some very good areas and we didn't execute. That's the difference between us and them today. They had a number of sh- shots on goal on target, and Clint pops up with two. The better team won over the legs. Two legs. You know, my issue with this is, what the hell were you preaching to the team during the f- second half of that game? God, Vancouver were so impressive in being unimpressive when it, when it okay. came to going forward. Yeah, it really was. Um, I mean, it, 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 sorry, Armand, but this pissed me off. I lost two hours of study time <laughs> of putting effort into the show or into something different. Watching that crap Thursday night. Like, what an embarrassment. Like, Vancouver, this new and upcoming team that nobody really paid attention to all season long, crapped themselves. Absolutely uncreative, v- vulgar. It was vulgar to watch them going forward. It was absolute vulgar. I was disrespected as an MLS analyst, as an MLS supporter. Disrespect. I was disrespected. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honest with you, uh, it didn't look like um, that Vancouver really wanted to win the game, to be 100% honest with you. It looked like they were playing for a draw in the first leg, which blows my mind with what we're going to talk about later. It's a little preview about the home about the home field. Oh, advantage what a joke that was. Like get. What, was that I couldn't just, believe it. I couldn't Take believe it. Of it. Was it just the an, another regular season game, Vancouver? What were you doing? You were at home. You just put five against San Jose. Well, mind you, that a kindergarten club could put up a, a freaking five goals past San Jose. So bad. <laughs> oh my yeah. god! It was just it was just it was bizarre to say. It was bizarre to say at least, Stephen. It was it was, re- it was really bizarre. And credit credit to Seattle for um, getting a nice hard nosed victory, but. I mean, both teams didn't look that, that impressive throughout, and it looked like Vancouver was sinking in, trying to absorb pressure on him on the counter, but there was only like three or four guys up with like five minutes to go to save your season. I think that's really unacceptable. No, nah, it's a joke. And I, I'm so happy that game was buried Thursday night because that was just, uh, it's just so bad. But Sunday's games, you had a real chance uh, of hoping for more excitement because up until that point, MLS playoffs have been flat. Mm-hmm. You really only had one good game, and that was Columbus-Atlanta. That was the only exciting game, but everything else was just terrible. Vancouver, uh, no, Toronto Red Bulls in Toronto. And the exciting aspect of this game was the Toronto fans crying about everything. You suck, ref. Yelling that a million times, right? That was awesome. Love Toronto fans. But the team on the field, God, do they look like a bunch of sheep. They look bad. I mean, complaining... Uh, all, all all the time getting in fights with the the, the Red Bull did not a team that had the composure to be the best team in MLS regular season history and 
to put yourself at jeopardy with Altidore getting thrown out with Giovinco receiving a second yellow uh, yellow card for dissent. For dissent, remember that for dissent. Oh yeah, he was irate, and that's that's unacceptable. I mean, I think Taylor was it Taylor Twelman said it best. I mean, if I was Giovinco, I'd be. I mean, if I was Greg Vanny, I'd be pulling my hair out. This is it's too unacceptable. Uh, um, what's it called? Too unacceptable outcomes and. I mean, overall, the play on the field wasn't really amazing. It was all the off the off the field stuff. Well, that was, I mean, I guess, it made fun. the game exciting. I mean, it did because you you, you had this weird goal. Did it get credited to uh, Bradley uh, Wright Phillips? Yeah, I think I got credited Bradley Wright Phillips. Yeah. So he gets I yeah his hundredth career goal for uh, the Red Bulls. Pretty impressive in the fifty third minute. So you had this weird dynamic. The aggregate was two two. Toronto advancing on the way goals. So up until that period, uh, you know, it, it seemed comfortable. Red Bulls get this weird deflection, and and, and then and at halftime, Josie out the door and Shasha clench. That's the real talking point of this game. What the hell happened? The police were somewhat involved. I read Josie out the door comes up with this weird tweet. Do you have the tweet in front of you? Yeah. Yo, Sasha at Sasha question. Why are you snitching, bro? Uh, emojis. emoji emojis. You tried to pull up on me when my back was turned and almost got that work. Laughing, crying emoji, laughing, crying emoji. Stay safe, flight. Peace sign. Upside down smiley face. Quickly deleted afterwards. Um, yeah, but the police were involved. If you haven't watched the video, there is a video, and you don't really know what to make of it. It was just a bunch of shouting, a bunch of F-bombs, and a bunch of finger-pointing and shoving and I pushing. Think, well, well, what it looked like for me is it did look like, actually, from the video, that the Red Bulls were uh, encroaching and going towards the uh, Toronto FC locker room, and they've actually filed a appeal of the red card with the video um, evidence from the uh from the the tunnel so i'm assuming they they see something that makes josie not worthy of getting the red card and He's, that's why he sent ever since the u.s men's national team has been a failure his comments after uh atlanta united after the red bulls games i uh, i mean it's just classless josie altador has become very dislikable um he has he has said things that i i don't i don't agree with um and he has taken this thing a little a little thin-skinned, um, if, if for lack of a better word. But I mean, it was unacceptable what he was doing on the pitch, and to put yourself in that situation, I think is really bad. But if Toronto FC thinks they have a valid claim to, you know, um, get that red card overturned, I mean, they obviously see it. That's why they send the. You wouldn't send an send in an incriminating video. That wouldn't make sense. So I mean, hopefully we'll see. I mean, I mean, we'll see. Outdoor Giovinco. I mean, yeah, interesting. But, well, but I, I honestly, Josie Outdoors. Attitude has just, I don't know. It hasn't been good, Armand. I just don't understand why you wouldn't feel like he has had he's had pressure on him, um, and he's starting to crack a little bit. And because of that, I mean, I mean, you're obviously going to say things that you regret. And I Jeeps. see the situation. I see the situation Jeeps. he's in. So that's just my. I wouldn't necessarily call him that. Bunch so. of sheep's. How about that? That's a better term. They've turned into a bunch of sheep. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Toronto advances on the away. Goal rule, two two aggregate. I mean, they're gonna have. I guess they have home field advantage. We'll talk about that later on. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see. Obviously, you have the Josie out the door, Sebastian Giovinco, and who are they gonna be playing? Columbus Crew took on hashtag save the crew. Yeah, hashtag save the crew. Um, NYCFC two. They survived. Sorry, they survived that game. I mean, NYCFC I think should have had a third goal, but. 
I think like I, I got think lucky. I think it's MLS destiny at this point that Columbus is going to make to the MLS Cup. I was texting Steven. I think it's like yeah. Houston Columbus. That's what we're going to get dumped in our laps. I mean, I might go to that game to be a hard honestly. Shit. I mean, t- uh-huh. tickets to Columbus aren't aren't, aren't that expensive and. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to if that happens, happens. But NYCFC, I mean, they played it perfectly. But some of the decisions that Vieira were making were kind of weird. I think I yeah. think he waited a little too long to make some subs. Pirlo being subbed on, I think, was really dumb. Um, <laughs> yeah, what I, the hell was Patrick Vieira it, doing there? In uh, lack of a better word, because I mean, you get a guy who hasn't played in a long time. He's launching balls. They're terrible. They're they're too far, and they're not helping a team at all. Um, Overall, I mean, the team was set up for success, but they, they couldn't capitalize on their opportunities. And I think NYCFC have no one to blame but themselves. And for Columbus, you get to live another day and you get to take advantage of going to map free one more time in front of what's going to be a raucous crowd. Columbus got lucky. Yeah, they did. I, agree. I mean, it, but I mean, it, it comes down to the fourth goal by Columbus in the diamonds of the game. Awful, yep. It's just you know, it, sh- it tells you that what you know, a matter of flipping off and on, a matter of one minute, can change the entire series. And uh, co- congratulations, Columbus. Hashtag save the crew. They're moving on. Bye bye, NYCFC. Portland, Houston, um, Houston, who had one win in the last nineteen MLS Rogate. Dating back to October of 2016, that's via Opta Jack. Follow them on Twitter. Real interesting. MLS stats, U.S. soccer stats all the time. Love it. Houston, come into Portland, a, a hostile environment, win 2-1, and wow. Since 2006, Armand, Houston has had the most conference championship appearances. I mean, people forget Houston was really good when they moved from San Jose to uh, actually Houston. Uh, they were really, they were really good, and they also made the MLS Cup in 2012. Um, yeah, I mean the shot by Manotas. I mean, honestly, at this point, if we're gonna, if we're gonna have a little, I mean, if we're gonna have a little embrace debate, um, shout out part of my take for that. Um, Mauro Manotas is better than uh, Kubo Torres right now. Um, that, sh- I mean, Kubo Torres is kind of just. I don't yeah. know what he was doing on the pitch. And they had Manotes, that one that just brilliant strike. You had Dylan Remick, the guy um, who I think is going to be definitely starting in place of Demarcus Beasley next season with just a, a strike. And Portland, I mean, people keep saying injuries, injuries, injuries. I mean, Houston has injuries too. Portland has a lot of injuries. But that's the nature of the season. You, you, you have to play who's in front of you. You can't say, oh, they had injuries here and there. I mean, you got to play who's in front of you. And – I mean, shout out to Houston for putting on a good performance and playing really well. They they proved me wrong. I thought they'd be eliminated. I thought they killed this game, but they proved me wrong. And I'm excited to see what they can do. You have you have Elise, you have Kyoto, and you're probably going to have Manotes start now. And I think it's going to be really fun to watch, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of excited for this uh, Western, Con- Western Conference uh, final season. Um, yeah, I guess I really don't care at this point. I'm more interested in the Eastern Conference Final. But I'm disappointed we didn't get Portland, Seattle. But Portland, again, this comes back to Vancouver. What the hell are they doing? The final 10 minutes, every cross that went into the box. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. Was we it were over talking hit? about this. We were what talking the about this. Like, it was well, so bad. I watched five freaking games, and then the final 15 minutes, I get dumped again with a a. a, a, a Blank show. I'm not going to swear here because we are family friendly, but I I just don't understand. This is the issue I have with MLS. Just you watch Chelsea, Manchester United, or you watched uh, City versus Arsenal. 
Pep Guardiola gets pissed at Sterling for not squaring a ball to man. Your uh, first mistake is you're comparing MLS with is the Premier League. Shut <laughs> up. Let me mistake. finish my point. But th- there's no emotion from the managers of getting pissed or the fans demanding better. Like if an MLS player puts the ball on target, it's like, oh man, I can't believe he put that on target. But if he sails it, it's like, oh. It's MLS, right? No, there should be an expectation. You're in the playoffs. You're in the final eight, right? You should be better than that. Like, what the? You can't square a ball across, or you can't put a put uh You can't cross the ball and at least aim in the general area of the six yard box. Like, it's not. It's it's a pretty big area. It's not hard to miss. Like oh, it just it's infuriating that some of these games are just terrible to watch. But ironically enough, the TV ratings, um, ESPN's slash ESPN's two's first three MLS twenty seventeen broadcasts have had three hundred twenty seven thousand viewers, compared to the hundred eighty two thousand last year. That's up by eighty percent. Like my question is. Who was watching those games? Those were terrible. Those first three games, except for the Columbus Atlanta game. Like, wow, were they? They that that must have rated a really high game. Uh, rated really high. I think the highest one was actually the NYCFC uh, Columbus game, and I think the first a leg. With the, a lot of that has to do with the save the crew. I think people want to see how Columbus would turn out, and um, I thought uh, the TFC Red Bull game wasn't that bad either. So I mean. I mean, overall, the playoffs have been a little lacking, and uh, there's obviously going mean, to gonna be some tweak. But, I mean, I must doing something, right? Yeah, but it's interesting because I on Twitter, I, you try looking for MLS play, uh, TV ratings, it's kind of hard to find. They're not they, – they try to bury them so people don't realize they're struggling. And like the NFL, NBA, uh, compared to a lot of uh, – among every league in the world, here in the United States, TV – Television ratings have been down, especially from last year. Last year they were down. We'll see if they take an upswing. Uh, you know, but it's it's bad for the MLS when you have a disaster of multiple games early on in the playoffs like that. Because if you can't capture a neutral fan, why the hell do they want to turn back? Especially for uh, later down. Later on in the, in the conference finals or the conference semifinals, especially the first five games, you want thrill, uh, thrilling games. You want goals. You want activity. And we'll see the the TV ratings show up for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, TV ratings. You want goals. You want. Activity, but how do you promote that? I don't Last know. Thing. You don't. How do you really promote don't. That? Because here's the issue: conference championship games, Armand, November twenty first. You know how far away that is. Yeah, that's because the that's because the FIFA people, window. Uh, so FIFA window. any momentum you had with Save the Crew out the window, any mo- momentum you had with Houston Dynamo, the Orange, you know Astros winning the World Series out the window. Seattle Sounders, maybe they can rest up. Toronto, I mean they they have their fan bases already. But as a neutral fan that doesn't really have skin in the game, who are you gonna watch? Who are you gonna watch? What are you gonna do? Oh, I'm gonna watch Switzerland because they're gonna be in the playoffs. But the MLS playoff ratings. Or the momentum for the playoff, out the window, goodbye. Doesn't matter anymore. Two weeks break, good. Oh, MLS playoffs are back on in two weeks' time. Oh, I didn't know that. 
I mean, yeah. it's 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 stupid. It it's MLS is this is the issue with MLS. Sometimes they're just dumb. Like you you feel you get the sense that nobody is actually rational at the headquarters. I don't believe that. I I believe that they see the issue that but now they have to adjust to it. MLS is, is still a relatively new league and they need to adjust yeah, to it. This is so I simple. Think... This is a simple fix. So we'll talk about we'll talk about it in this gonna, little thing. We're going to yeah, take we're gonna a break. About... We're going to take a break. Uh and we'll talk about the fix of MLS playoffs because I've ah, I've wasted so much time when I could be doing other productive things. Second leg November 29th, FS1 ESPN, they rotate uh both networks will have both games just depending on which leg. Um and we'll have more preview on the next coming or coming episodes. We got plenty of time because we have FIFA window, right, Armand? FIFA window. FIFA window. Hope Swiss. Uh, that FIFA window will not include... Well, it will include the U.S. men's national team. But, hmm. Meaning U.S. Uh, up next, MLS playoff format. Is it good? Bad? How do we fix it? Um, Armand, listeners, special guest coming on the show, actually, where we're actually not going to talk about the MLS format, if it's good, bad, or fixes just yet. Just yet. We're, we're changing it up, Armand. We're just waiting for our special guest to call in. It's a surprise. An absolute surprise to you listeners, because we did not promote this whatsoever on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter it, at UncSamSoccerPod. It's a surprise for us, too. <laughs> <laughs> to say well, the least. To say the least, it's a small surprise. But we're super excited. In the meantime, Armand, um, out of the four remaining clubs in MLS playoffs, Toronto, Columbus, Seattle, Houston, who's the favorite? It's, 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 it's tough. I mean, I would still say Toronto if they were healthy. I mean, if they had everyone available, but they obviously don't. Um... Columbus is looking really good. Houston is looking good. Seattle, I'm not really sure about, but I think Houston's looking pretty quality. I feel like we're on a collision course for a Columbus-Houston battle. I mean, everyone else will say that, and I don't like it. But I feel like it's, it, it might it might happen. Um, I would have to say, I would still say Toronto. In my opinion, their, I agree. their, their depth is going to be tested. Vasquez is, is quality, though. Giovinco, Altador, if they're all... When the gang's together, it's it, it they're, they're different. They're a different story, and they're miles uh, better than most of the league. I mean, it, it, see, my issue is if Houston goes on and wins the MLS Cup, like, yeah, wow, were they the best team overall? No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, they, at one point they were looking with the couple games remaining in the, in the season, they were on the outside looking in. So what does that tell you? But Toronto is by far, I think, the clear. I hope it's Seattle-Toronto. It would be good for the league to see a rematch. But we'll see. Okay, look, it looks like our special guest is calling in. So uh, we'll be right back. Is he calling in? All righty, listeners, we got our special guest, Sebastian Salazar. You see him on ESPN FC, uh, ESPN. He is one of the hosts. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Good. Great to be with you guys. Uh, appreciative of the time, and uh, I 
chance to maybe uh, get some things off our chest about U.S. soccer, right? <laughs> oh, you're telling us. No oh, better, no folks. better forum than this one. No better forum than this one. They don't. We no limits here, like they like they do to me on TV. I want to say they, they here. There's no restriction. I bet on TV, you you got to give the other people the chance to talk, and you kind of have to, I guess. Listen, right? Yeah, and beyond that, you gotta you gotta sell cars and diapers and all the commercials. Oh. So you know, <laughs> you gotta get in in and out of segments and promote these guys and this guy. So yeah, there's not there's not a whole lot of time for uh, for just chat. You know, I I gotta ask you because you were on on the podcast with uh, Hercule Gomez and um, what, what Max Bredos. Yes, and you were talking. I I believe Armand actually linked. to linked me this at one point in the show you're talking about the michael bradley quote between the lion and the sheep <laughs> and you know the funny thing is i've been quote i've been barking at michael bradley ever since he said that i've been talking about how big of a sheep he is uh especially after they you know they failed <laughs> uh, i i thought it was just so funny that i was like oh somebody gets it somebody's using it was a um it was a it's funny you know it's like the old uh, old tweets exposed or like yeah. the cold takes exposed. You know, there there's some quotes that you just when you put them out there, there's like a chance that they could age really really poorly, and that that was the case for Michael Bradley's quote there. You know, if he thought the 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 criticism from Alexi Lalas and that rant was anything, I think uh, he and the rest of the guys saw when they got back from Trinidad what what kind of real criticism could start to feel like and uh, and yeah i think the reference I, I made was if if michael bradley's a lion then it's you know it's the zoo lion that that exists off the handler's formula <laughs> yeah you know, it's something like that oh. uh, it's a shot man michael Bra- you know i i i don't want to come across and this is one of the things that's happened recently uh, you know you come across as kind of the the guy that hates the players when you criticize yeah, well. them a little bit don't want to come across that but you know it, it when when you engage with the media uh, no matter how you do it, you open yourself up, and I think it's all part of the show. It's all fair game. No, sure, yeah. and I think uh, nationally, especially with the national team, you got to be able. You have to be able to criticize coaches and on the players. You're not attacking the player personally. You just his play on the field. I mean, you're attacking him on the field, right? And if he opens his mouth off the field, then then it's a different conversation. But if you play poor on the field, you you got to expect that you're. You're especially representing nationally with the national team. You're representing us, but it, you know what? It's it's all relative too. I mean, you have to realize the type of coverage yeah. that soccer players in this country have been accustomed to getting over the mm-hmm. last five, ten, fifteen, twenty years. The type of coverage that coaches in this country have been accustomed to getting over the last couple decades. There, ha- simply put, hasn't been a ton of really focused or educated criticism until just now, and so you're seeing. Um, what has been a really coddled group of players, coaches, when it comes to the fierce criticism that people in other parts of the world come to expect, now that they're being exposed to it, there's kind of an obvious, and I think it's fair to say, expected reaction to that from that group, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's been negative. But I think the more that you know, people in the press and the public demand and, and, and really begin to call for higher standards um, for players and coaches and leagues and executives, um, I think the end product will only be better, you know, but sure. iron sharpens iron. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen fans even hold these players accountable. I mean, we saw Beasler and Zussi get booed in Houston. We also saw Altador and uh, Bradley also get booed in New York and also in uh, Atlanta as well. Um, what, what, what do you what do you make of that with all the all the all the fans now just really upset that their team didn't qualify and. And the comments they make after it too. I mean, Altidore said some of the stuff 
was classless and, and whatnot. And I don't really agree with, with the mindset Altador has. I mean, like you said, I think they were coddled and that the, the, the reaction they have is really expected. But, I mean, it's coming off looking pretty bad for them. So I think there's there, there's a couple ways we have to hit this, right? The, the first is Josie's specific complaints about classlessness were about, you know, the, the bad apples in the lot, the few um, who apparently attacked him based on religion. And it doesn't really... Right, right. We, you know, there's no point for us to waste our time, too much time, but I think it's important to just, you know, kind of blanket condemn that. If, if that's what yeah. you're about, you're, you're, you're not welcome. You're, right. You're, you're wrong. You're going to be on the wrong side of history. Like, don't spread that and don't share it with people. It's it, it's terrible. The other part of it, right? So let, now let's we've we've acknowledged that there are certain lines you, you just can't cross. But the idea that a national team player for the United States is getting booed based off national team performance or poor national team performance is a relatively new concept. Like it used to be that if you wore the U.S. national team jersey, you were a hero. Yeah. And there was no other alternate reality to that. And what I think that does is it creates an illusion of comfort, of, hey, there, when I play for the U.S. team, only good things can happen. N- nothing bad can happen. There's, there's no fear here. I'm not playing with any fear of losing anything. Right. I think now we've seen that being on the national team is a real pressure cooker, and it can cut both ways. And there can be very, very serious co- consequences for people that don't perform in that setting. And I think that's something that once we graduated from the early 90s and mid-90s where our teams had to really give everything they had in every game to get to where they wanted to be, once we could rely a little bit on skill, I think we lost some of that identity that, that kind of made U.S. soccer hyper-competitive. Mm. And, and a return to that, I think, is critical but, you know, not just a return to what the team and the program was in the early mid-90s, but an evolution that, that kind of honors the track that we're on, but also acknowledges that there's some pretty big gaps in what we're doing um, as we try to get to the next levels that we always seem to be dreaming about and talking about in this country. But, Sebastian, I, obviously we do a podcast, so we're part of the media. We go to the games. We follow them. We get press credentials. We've talked to the players, coaches, other re- national pundits, reporters. Uh, we've had, you know, broadcasters on. But I, I feel like to criticize the players, you have to, there's a fair balance, right? There's an equal balance. But for these players that are not used to it, I mean, if they were, say, in Italy or in Spain or in England or in Brazil or Argentina, I mean, they would get hammered from, from you know, fans and the media. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's interesting. We talked about it on ESPN FC, one of the shows. Yeah. And we were asking, you know, is this like, is this an evolution? Because people want to say like, oh, it's, this is us becoming wiser as a soccer nation now that we have the nuance to understand that we can cheer for these guys in one stadium and boo them in another and, and why that all works. Um, I, I think there is a reality that in this country, um, standards, expectations, pressure – more so than anything else, pressure. That pressure comes from fan intensity and engagement. It comes from the money and investors, you know, what the money, the role that money plays in the game. And if people think that their money is going to be affected, they're much more quick to fire a coach, change a player, make mm-hmm. a trade, 
You know, right, all of right. those things. There's more money being spent now in the game. There's higher stakes now. We see what we, we never thought we'd miss a World Cup. We see so now all of these people are agitated in a way that I think um, opens us up to criticize more. You're right. These guys, had they lived in any other culture, would know that the obsession, that the yeah. intensity to their work, the detail which which with which they are judged. I mean, if you don't run out a ball in like a league game in Uruguay. You get like killed. There's a there's a <laughs> Sebastian Salazar who plays somewhere in Gonmebol. And if I ever type my name into Twitter, which I will admit to doing after a particular <laughs> broadcast or so, I'll see that man, they killed this guy, Sebastian Salazar, who plays in like the Uruguayan second division for like not hustling enough. It's like, <laughs> my gosh, you know, th- this you don't see that here. We no. don't talk about that here. That's not the, the way now. There's a balance, of course, right? Like sure. right. there are there are other cultures I can speak to this. Um, being Mexican-American, where, like, you can almost say the expectations of the Mexican soccer team or the Mexican player are almost too much to the point where they they stifle progress. They, mm. they choke the players. They choke the coaches. It's very limiting. And it's also not realistic. It's not based on the reality of achievements or where your players are playing. It's based on the level of obsession with, within the country and people say, well, we love it as much as other places in the world. Therefore, we should be as good as other places in the world. Um, and unfortunately, the intensity of fandom does not correlate to how well your national team plays. That's just not how it works. So um, we don't want to get to a point where we have a toxic atmosphere, where Mexico's changing coaches. Look at the run-up to the last World Cup four times, yeah. essentially, yeah. in one cycle. That's horrific. And that's born of a culture and an environment that's un healthily critical but there's a difference between where we were pre um october 10th and where mexico was four years ago and i think there's a middle ground there where we need to aim for in terms of kind of our atmosphere and and our 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 culture of accountability in the soccer sphere in this country yeah absolutely absolutely sebastian i mean you talked about it i mean uh sweden uh, his uh, family is from Switzerland, and my family is from Iran. So we do see that uh, that difference in in soccer culture. But you did mention uh, kind of like how the United States. Some people feel like we're in a transition stage, and I think part of that transition stage is also how much interest is going into the U.S. soccer presidency. And today we did see Kyle Martino uh, do a complete uh, 180 and announce that he is going to run for the. Uh, a presidency position and i think this is a i think it's a big wrinkle um in terms of that people see kyle martino's face uh almost every weekend when the yeah. premier league uh, does coverage on on nbc and whatnot but i did read a tweet that did mention how the more uh competition comes around that the more likely it is that sunil gulati is going to be uh re-elected what are your thoughts on martino uh starting to uh, announcing his uh, presidency and also uh, the fact that and also that fact that it might make it easier for Gulati to win if he does uh, end up running again for re-election. I know the tweet you're referencing um, from Steve Goff, and I think that applies generally to elections. As you have right. more mm-hmm. and more candidates flood into an election, the incumbent um, tends to, for whatever reason kind of rise to the top and, and end up winning. I, I guess it, it creates a, a, an atmosphere where all of the contenders kind of contend against each other Correct, uh, as yeah. opposed to kind of, you know, you know, kind of attacking the incumbent. So first off on Kyle Martino, I think we have to uh, acknowledge 
just how exceptional what he is doing is. This is an endorsement because I think it, it would be unfair for um, anybody in the media to endorse any of these guys without really sitting down and knowing a lot more yeah. than we know. A few, a few have done some media work. Um, Eric Ronaldo was on the the podcast that you guys mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago, the Max and Hurt podcast. It was a really informative interview. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Martino will do the the media rounds as well uh, in, in the coming days. We've seen some quotes from Carlos Cordero, who is um, kind of Sunil Gulati's number two, and he's thrown his hat in the race. There's the lawyer contingent, Steve Gans. There's, there's a lot of names um, and, and a lot of different people who we've heard a lot of different things about. But I think um, Kyle joining the race is really exciting for a couple reasons. One is you've got a guy who's willing to put his money where his mouth is. Um, right. I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but it is very difficult to have the job that Kyle Martino has um, and has earned through years and years of, of dedicated hard work in the industry that he's in. And that is a job, and this industry is such that you don't step away from your chair. I've done shows where I'm literally like sick as a dog because I don't want to let somebody else sit in my chair and maybe do it better than I do. Sure. And I, I'm sure that Kyle is confident as he is in his abilities and he's really, really good at what he does. Share some of those similar um, beliefs, just knowing what this industry is like. So for him to step away from a job that he does really well, that he's really handsomely rewarded for um, to pursue something basically for the good of the sport. That's I understand given him a lot is really noteworthy. And if you know anything or have ever met Kyle, you know that, one, he's exceptionally intelligent, mm. which is a good thing. And I also happen to know this just from a few interpersonal interactions that I've had with him because we've worked on a couple projects together, a couple shows together. Um, I think it comes out very clearly in, I guess, was it the New York Times article earlier yeah. today that kind of mm -hmm. talks about his, his candidacy? Yeah. Is he's a listener. Kyle Martino is not the guy at the dinner table who talks the whole time and tells stories about himself, though he's got great stories. He's a listener. He draws more out of other people at the table. He asks questions. He's engaged with those around him. I think what we've seen and what the critical issues are around U.S. soccer is a lack of diversity, not necessarily in terms of uh, race or age or um, who we are or gender, although I think you could point to some of those as well, but really in terms of where our ideas come from, where the people who make the decisions, where their ideas come from, both on the soccer side and on the business side. And so I think having somebody whose goal is not to put their own people in charge and implement their own ideas, but to bring the best ideas out of a really melting pot that is U.S. soccer is the type of candidate that, that we can get behind. Is Kyle Martino the only person that can do that? No. But I do think, as you mentioned, him being on TV every weekend um, gives him a platform and a name recognition yeah. that will help his cause. The reality, though, is this isn't a popularity contest. This isn't U.S. soccer fans. Go to ussoccer.org and vote. Right. This is done very differently, and it's voted on by a very select group of people. It's like, in many ways, the U.S. presidential election. We all go out and we vote, but we don't actually vote, right? Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not actually us voting. This is different in that we all talk about it, uh, those of us that are interested, and as you say, there's more people interested now because of this 
um, kind of pivotal moment in U.S. soccer history, missing the World Cup. But with all of that said, I think there's still a really small group of people that are really um, focused on this U.S. soccer election. But I, I, I do think it's, it is a testament to, to kind of the, the, the change in the way that we look at this game. We, we, are, we are in some way in that respect definitely evolving. No, absolutely. I think one thing that struck uh, my 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 attention was that he's all he's always talked about how this NBC gig is his dream job, and that he's he's leaving it uh, to pursue something that's it, it's it's paidless, and it's basically a it, it, he's basically t- um, wants to improve something that he's been a part of, and now that scene it's it's fallen apart. I mean, you can read his uh, his stuff on on, on his website. Which we will link in the description. But I mean, overall, I mean, Stephen, what, what what do you think? I mean, I think I really like the tone, like you said, Sebastian, of uh, Martino throughout the uh, Mark Stein piece uh, from the New York Times. I think overall, it came off as very professional. It came out that he knew he knew what what he was talking about, and that he has a plan and he's ready to get at it. So, I mean, Stephen, what what do you think? I find it really interesting because he covers the Premier League, right? With NBC, his gigs the Premier League. He cut, you know, he mentions. I think when the U.S. didn't qualify, they talked about it. But I find it real interesting that he has, he's got his ear tied to what's going on in Europe. So that's a dynamic that you bring as a presidency that I think definitely adds a dimension to his, I guess, credibility. I just have a hard time knowing the difference between all of them. Like, are they really going to really change what Galati has done? You got the 2026 World uh, World Cup bid coming, I guess, with Canada and Mexico and the U.S. joint. And then you have this, I guess, the proposal of 48-team format that could be implemented, could not with FIFA. I, it, it's just so many, you know, it, so much things are happening. And then on the field, you don't have a coach yet. You don't know who's going to replace him. You got a bunch of young players that are waiting to get called up, but Bruce Arena didn't call them up because of the World Cup cycle. Now we're going to that transition. It's it's a U.S. soccer is in. I don't know. It's just moving. There's a lot of moving pieces, and nobody really knows how it's going to come together, especially in the next couple of years. Yeah, it is, and I think, but that's that's what makes this a, a really exciting time. We yeah. have kind of a, a potential for tectonic shift at a lot of different levels, at the youth level, at the executive level, at the coaching level. We, um, we've never been at a confluence like this, I don't think, in, in U.S. soccer history. And, and, and that's what makes all of these decisions feel really, really important uh, right now in the present moment. i got to ask you, Sebastian, because if you had to point to one issue – I know it's hard, but if you point to one issue, why do you think U.S. soccer failed to qualify? I think a group of players were very poor. Okay. That 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 really, and I know that I I I, I agree. Kind of beat, I banged that drum really hard when I got back. You know, I, I was in Trinidad, and I didn't really have my wits about me after the game. I think I was in shock, <laughs> kind of like everybody else. Yeah, we were pissed. <laughs> but I, and I've told this. Yeah, and yeah, not not really pissed, just kind of like stunned and trying yeah. to like thinking all of this big picture mm-hmm. stuff. Like, mm-hmm. what does this mean? Oh, you know, my summer just opened up next summer. I'm not going to Russia <laughs> now. Okay, you know, all, all this stuff is floating through your brain. And then um, I get on the flight, and I've, I got five hours to myself, and I land, and I'm starting to see all of the you know the response from all the different people, and I don't see a lot of people talking about the game itself. I see a lot of talk 
really just within 24 hours of disappointment of the end of the match, we're talking about Sunil Gulati and the president and, and all this stuff. And, you know, I, I was just kind of taken aback that we hadn't really analyzed the 90 minutes where a group of professionals who make really great money uh, to, to, to play this game lost to a group of guys that were um, very much not a professional outfit. I mean, that was a Trinidad and Tobago reserve team. Right. And that was playing its fourth string goalie, third string if you give him like an edge. Um, there was no reason for those 11 players to come out and lose that game other than the one-off where you're the best team, you play a bad team, and they hit one shot, it goes in, you hit the post three times, and, and their goalie has an incredible match, right? That didn't happen. They showed up dead, yeah. lifeless. They, there was no interest. It was almost as if they thought they'd really, truly, honestly already clinched and that the, the match was a formality. By the time they woke up, it was one nothing. By the time they really got going, it was 2 nothing, And then it was too late. And I think we can point to a lot of things as to why U.S. soccer is not at its best right now. But that's to, that's to turn a blind eye to the progress that has been made over the last 30 years. When we went from an international, not even also ran, but didn't even run, to a consistent World Cup qualifier. That is incredible pro progress over a very short period of time for this country. And so to point at the system that, that qualified us for seven straight World Cups and then say, oh, well, now it's totally broken because we didn't qualify for this and not look at the act of 11 different players on the field against basically a semi-pro team in Trinidad is to be very disingenuous of what we ask of our players. That The players really failed. That's the bottom line. Those 11 guys failed on that day. And a bigger group of 25 to 30 guys failed over a much longer period of time. But mm. they did enough job to get to that one day to yeah. have to do the easiest task you could ask, and they couldn't get it done. I, 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 that, that falls on them. No, uh, pay to play was not playing left back. So Neil Gulati <laughs> was not playing defensive central midfield. Uh, you know, it, it, all of these things, were. that's not what happened on the field that day. That, that day was a total player failure. And just as we need to hold everybody in U.S. soccer accountable for the things we don't like in the system, we need to hold the players responsible accountable for the things we don't like on the field. I, 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 you said it perfectly. And I, I might add that I think culturally we're still evolving into soccer and what it means. Obviously, I think this opened the eyes. Obviously, the player criticism and the coaching criticism and the pointing at Galati. I think that definitely, you know, th that was a backlash of them failing and suddenly the culture of soccer suddenly became a lot more real and realized, yeah, summer 2018 now sucks. Now, luckily for me, I got my Swiss. Armand's got Iran. You got, huh. I guess, Mexico, I'm assuming. So we're we yeah, still have Yeah, some, yeah, I'll be following Mexico. Uh, yeah, you know, Switzerland has to qualify f through the playoff. But, you know, I still have at least a dog in the fight, hopefully. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I guess yeah. we all have to find our second favorite teams now, right? Yeah. I think that's the great – that's like the great loss of this. And we haven't really been through it kind of in the modern era. But yeah. there are a lot of people who put a lot into this program, you know, fans – um, young kids who, who, who are going to miss a World Cup now, miss that, that formative experience of a World Cup on the business side. There's a lot of business mm -hmm. opportunities that mm -hmm. are going to be missed over the next 12 months because of what's happened. So, you know, there's, there's a lot more than just on the field that, that was lost. But the, the reality, the weight of that loss and the consequences 
uh, and acknowledging those, I think, are really, really important right now. And it's not to kind of harp on what we're going to miss, but it is to acknowledge that it matters to us that we've missed it, that it is a great big deal. And not, you know, no, nothing in sports is a tragedy, but in the sense of like a, whatever a sports tragedy can be, that this is that. No, exactly, Sebastian. And before we let before we let you go, I just wanted to uh, ask you. I mean, with the with the vacant coaching situation, uh, I mean, obviously Sarah Canizzi in turn, but I don't expect him to be the uh, actual uh, head coach and have that tag removed. Who do you want to see uh, as a national team coach uh, by the next uh, for for the next cycle? I mean, is there anyone that you uh, have seen you're like, oh wow, they would be an interesting fit for the United States uh, national team, or is it too early to tell? Well, I think it is. It is too early to tell. I think it's really critical right now to name the president. I think that once we have the president and that person lays out their ideas, um, then I think we know what type of coach might best fit that. Here's some things though that I I want from the coach. I want somebody who can very clearly articulate what the style will be yes i also want that person to have records proof that they have been able to verbalize a style and implement that style i would hope that that person being able to talk a style implement a style has done so at the international level and if they've done so at the international level and they've done so in multiple places at the international level that's even better mm. uh, in terms of what I would want on their resume. But I want somebody who can say, this is what the U.S. team is going to look like. This is, this is the style that we're going to play and be able to point to a team that they've run where they put that style in and it's worked. And, and if I can see that, that, that will mean a lot. I, I think there's a lot of really good candidates not too far from here. I think if you look down into the Mexican league, and it doesn't even have to be a Mexican manager – but a lot of people have pointed to somebody like a Miguel Herrera, somebody that would be yeah. interesting. Juan Carlos Osorio, the Colombian now in charge of Mexico, uh, has been linked, been linked beyond him. There's a there's a great run of, of really exciting Argentine coaches right oh, now. Yeah. One of mm-hmm. them is Matias Almeida with Chivas. Chivas. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a lot of coaches right now um, from South America that kind of the best coaches in South America end up in, in the Mexican League plying their trade. And I think looking there for... for some young, innovative coach is a really, really good place to start and somebody who's already in this hemisphere and already kind of understands some of the dynamics at play within CONCACAF. It's real interesting that you say south of the border in, or in, you know, in MLS, not you know, into Europe. Yeah, I mean, not, look, I, I'm not one to rule anybody out. Sure. I think that th- there are really qualified coaches um, th- that could help this team out from Europe. And, and I just think that it's it's important for the United States, and, and I think this is, this is maybe a longer topic, but just to touch on it briefly, you know, you have to acknowledge the changing demographics in the U.S. and how specifically yeah. that impacts the right. player pool for U.S. soccer. And I think having a um, Latino coach, a Hispanic coach, even just a Spanish-speaking coach, uh, is a really critical way of acknowledging, addressing, and including a big part of the soccer culture in this country that, mm. frankly, we a lot of times see ignored. If you talk about what U.S. soccer is and who's running it, it's a 
the demographic looks very suburban. Let's just say if the the socioeconomics look, look very suburban. Yeah. But there's a lot of other people in this country who are playing the sport, consuming the sport. Sure. No one ever talks about the biggest the biggest rating game in this country is never a Premier League game. It's always Chivas America. It's always a Liga MX. Yep. So, yep. You, you know, you got we talk about Kyle Martino having maybe like a lot of um, you know penetration into the U- U.S. soccer culture. That's one sliver of it. Sure. Don't forget that there's a whole other part of the pie here that needs um, just as much attention. And I think having a coach that can, um, that can excite that part of, of the American soccer pie is, is really critical at some point, if not in the next time. Well, we love it, Sebastian. We love uh, definitely some insight that uh, Armand and I definitely did not think of. Uh, we appreciate it. Now we got the shameless plug here on the show. Where can we follow you on Twitter? Obviously, you're on ESPN FC, ESPN. So, yes, I got um, on Twitter. It's at Sebi Salazar Foot F U T at the end, like football. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and uh, Facebook as well, and I'll be hosting FC on Thursday and Friday this week. So, uh, so tune in. I'm sure we'll have some plenty of uh, U.S. roster talks, yes. and MLS playoff stuff too. So it's a, it's a good time of year. It, it really is a fun time of year with everything that's going on. It is a fun time, a lot of moving parts. So definitely be on the lookout. Thanks again, Sebastian. And, uh, Thanks, Sebastian. Thanks for having me, guys. Special guest listeners caught you guys surprise by surprise, didn't I? That was awesome. You mean we? You mean we? 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 we. I? Same thing. I'm just kidding, Armand. I hate you. Uh, it's okay. Um, interesting with the coaching. I, I I wanted to touch one thing. I think you need to bring somebody who's not. American, Spanish speaking, or somebody who's just not American. I think you need a manager who isn't tied to these players. Bruce Arena was tied to like the MLS and and what the culture of MLS in in the national team and just like you know, I guess it was. It felt like there was a handshake under the table. Yeah, I'll call call up quite a bit of MLS players, but bringing in somebody else, I don't know. It, it, it'd be interesting to see a Hispanic coaching the league. MX point was really good. Um, they have plenty of quality managers, and like I said, they're, and they're always getting fired. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, said, yep. uh, let's talk about MLS playoff format because we were going to do oh. that before our special guest. You're excited. Sorry, I'm excited because I've been sitting on this for two years now. Uh, can I start? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm waiting like, for you to start. Uh, What's the big deal? All right, so. Since 2012, MLS switched their format to to stop having these cross conference uh, semifinals or finals. In 2010, FC Dallas actually made the uh, cup. I think it was oh, I 2010, remember that. There was there was like there was four Western Conference team in the conference finals. That's how weird MLS was. So they switched this format, and I've always had this gripe, and I've noticed it a lot because I mean FC Dallas has been a victim of it, and I'm not saying it's because of FC Dallas. But I have noticed this, and I've done some research on it. And John Strong, actually, shout out John Strong for actually making this point on the air. Yeah. But 
I feel like the the playoffs are almost unfair for the higher seed. And here's why. I don't feel like the higher seed has the home field advantage as they were advertised to get with a good league finishing. Take this stat. 19 out of 34 teams won their first leg as a lower seed in 2012. That's the home. That is the home the, the home team. That's 56%. Seven out of the 10 lower seeds in the conference finals advanced to the MLS Cup. And I can name them. Houston, LA in 2012. Real Salt Lake in 2013. The Galaxy in 2014. Columbus and Portland in 2015. And Seattle in 2016. And in a league that is so, 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 it is so important to win your home games. And you can have losing records with your road road games. Home field advantage is one pa- of the most... Pause. Pause there. Home home field advantage is so crucial. Do you realize majority of major league soccer clubs do not have a winning road win? Houston record? had one road win in the regular season. <laughs> one. And they're now in the conference final. Yeah. And one there. Uh, Sporting KC had two. San Jose had three. Vancouver Whitecaps surprisingly had six. But Seattle has three. Right, Columbus has four, Toronto has seven. Obviously, you know, but the way road record is—it's a joke. If you don't, you know how you know when you're a bad team when you can't win at home. And yeah, exactly. And to do a comparison, I took top six teams in MLS, top three from each conference, and well, not top six, but top three from each conference. And I looked at the difference between their home and away form, and so Toronto. They have 42 points at home, 27 away. And you might say, okay, that's okay. Toronto's the best team in MLS history, by the way. So let's get that out of the way. Uh, well, okay, um, you, by standing-wise. NYCFC in, 35, well, regular season. Regular season, yeah. By standing-wise, historically the regular, best yeah. team. Yeah, regular historically, Yeah, historically. Um, NYCFC at 35, 22, 13. Now you get these huge differences between Chicago, Portland, Seattle. 39 points at home, 16 away. 37 points at home for Portland, 16 away. 38 home points for Seattle, 15 away. And I compared that to the Premier League. You might say, Armand, you just said don't compare the Premier League with the MLS yeah, even earlier. You did, Armand. Yeah, I did. You did. But, but the reason why I said that, I, I did that, is because I want to see if travel had an effect on these teams. There's only two teams that had a big effect on our top six, Spurs and Arsenal, who had comparable numbers. Man United had a better away form than they did home. Points-wise. Liverpool is the only difference is six. And this Chelsea was last season. Last season, last season by the way. Yes. Chelsea, the only difference is nine. Man City, the only difference is two. Travel is not a big of a difference in England or places in Europe because everything is so close. America is so spread out. You could go five hours and you wouldn't be out of Texas, but you'd be in like three different countries in Europe. It's it's insane. So, so quickly, I, would, I, want, I want something that maximizes a home field advantage for these teams because going on the road sucks, and it's not fair. There's no, there's no advantage. It's trying, to, it's trying to replicate this idea of parity, which I don't, I don't really well, agree is with. Is it really parity? Is it? Is it not parity? Even. Not even, to be honest with you. It's not even. So Grant Wall came up with this idea where you have the top four of the West in one group and the top four in the East in one group. You had the t- the best team in the West host all the games. Best team in the East, uh, best team in the West, second best team in the West host two games. Third best team hosts one game, and the fourth team is on the road for all four games. That I think is really good. But I want to improve on that by saying you have the knockout games, so you make sure you have the twelve teams, 
And you go by that because you know how much that ma- that's that makes regular season super important because that makes seasons the the standing so important because you not want to be a team that has to host every single game. Would you want to be that team? I mean, no, no, the team what? that's on the road every single but game. But Armand, Armand I'm, 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 you're touching something really important here. What is it? Gate sales, ticket sales. There's the two legs are there because there's the need for money. But the thing is, they want us. But the thing is, uh, this is uh, apparently this allegedly uh, MLS teams want to move to a single elimination system, which I can't get behind. I feel like that's that's too easy for a team to make a fluky run. You need well, to say it's not even long enough. It, this is, soccer, like Champions League, it's played over two legs. Exactly. The, the FA Cup, anything that's knockout besides the World Cup or the European Championships or the the. Uh, Copa Americas. You have a, a group stage in that. Either you do that, but then what's the point of of the seating? You know, or, exactly. the reg- or what's the point There's of the no supporter point. shield? What is it? There's no point because a team can eat, and you can say, "What about the NFL?" Don't compare soccer to the NFL. <laughs> Plain and simple, just, just 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 don't do it. They're two different sports. Um, with that, with the West host, the first seed in the West hosting all the games, second seed hosting two. You have teams that want to fight. They want to fight for that position because you not want to be that last seed going on the road every single game because that travel is going to take a wear and tear on you and it's going to be tough. Now the only issue is some of those teams need a little compensation. The four, the 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 four team might be on the road every single game. They might be on the road every single game in the playoff. And if that's the case, then they need some sort of com- compensation. Same with same with the third seed only hosting one game. So you're gonna have to work out the compensation. After that group stage, you go to a knockout, and this is where I changed up from Grant Walls' idea. Even though he did mention this, but this is where I changed it up, and um. I think this is a lot besides a little wrinkle. You have the first team in the West group playing against the second team in the East group. Get a little cross-conference competition. The East finisher one playing against the West finisher two. And the, 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 top, the, top, finisher from each, the top finisher of each group host. Then you have the MLS, MLS Cup final, which is just the best, the team with the best points, most points, hosts that game. Every single step except for that Except for that uh, semifinal game, you have the teams being impacted by the regular season, which puts so much importance on a regular season because you want to be hosting these games. These games are important. You do not want to be that team that has to play the, 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 the play-in game and then the three games and then the semifinal and then the cup. That's six games. You want to be that team that plays, that plays, that plays the least amount of games in the road and has the ability to host almost every game. I don't know, Steven. That's just me. That's just my rant. I, I don't wow. think that teams have a, an, an advantage right now, and it's been on my mind for two years. What is it? Uh, 10 and 10? The the knockout teams? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 10 and 10? I can – and look, uh, I'll just – I'll name you the most. The most years were from 2016. The Red Bull – the Impact beat the Red Bulls 1-0 first leg. They won the Series 3-1. And that the impact were lower seed. The teams that win are lower seed. The Galaxy beat the beat Colorado, um, and Colorado had to win. They had to survive on penalties to move on. Oh yeah, I remember that. Seattle killed FC Dallas in ten minutes. Yep. And destroyed the season. The Montreal won the first leg, and then uh, in the semifinal, TFC had to go to extra time to win the series. 
how is that easier for these teams? Then you have Seattle. How is it easier for these teams? It doesn't make sense. Uh, 2013, lower seed RSL defeats Portland 4-2 in the first leg, one series 5-2. Exactly. How is it easier for these teams? It doesn't make sense. And- no, I mean, I don't know. The thing with MLS playoffs, I mean, it goes back to what we saw with Vancouver, Seattle, where I wasted 180 minutes plus, right, watching two games that were right. absolutely meaningless and terrible. The thing is, MLS needs to sell a product. How are they? Yeah, I mean, the group stage is interesting. But if you go to a single elimination, they're probably going to open up more playoff seating. You know that because they need to make up the the extra games. My idea, the pots, and you do – Armand hates it. I don't know why. I think it's brilliant. You, I hate pots. Uh, it's so awesome. It could be such a show. Like the Champions League group stage draw, it's like a show. It's an hour show on Fox Sports. Do you think I'm going to sit through an hour long of MLS playoff seating? In 20 years, come back. with we'll Mark this tape. <laughs> Jimmy, mark the tape. But I don't know. It, it, MLS has to make money. And if, if you can't get ads or sponsorships to enough games, I don't know. It's, MLS has an issue with its format because it's not working. I think if – think about it. If you're – uh, we'll it's almost it. systematically unfair. Well, think about it. You're FC Dallas last season. Year. You had four days to fly up to Seattle to play a game. I mean, how is that fair? You get rewarded for home field advantage. Then you have a short notice. You have no idea where you're flying to. The players And you let the away team set the tone. That's yeah, they're getting I don't to, understand. They're hosting the game. So Seattle so happened to win it, uh, the, the play-in game. Seattle hosts FC Dallas. What? How's that fair? FC Dallas sat on the couch, waited. Seattle's got the momentum going. No, it's it does not work well. If you change anything, at least change the opportunity for the higher seed to choose. Are they on the home? Are they at home or on the road first? That's where the advantage comes into. So if you're FC Dallas last season, no, you know what? We're gonna host the first game. Or you know what? Seattle will fly up to you. Or in the, in this year's case. Toronto could have said, ah, you know what, we want to host Red Bulls first. You know, maybe we, we try to kill them 3 nothing. obviously, with their attacking. and just really- Yeah, exactly. I just I think there needs to be a way to maximize that home field advantage. I think it blows my mind how it's, it's – because people don't talk about this. I don't, I don't know why. Home field advantage actually means something in the regular season because road teams suck. But then you have the road team suddenly be good. But what is it? Houston has like uh, – I, I marked this uh, on my Twitter feed – Something like how Houston's away record in in regular season MLS is like really bad, but in the playoffs it's somewhat decent. I mean, I guess I guess teams turn it up, but I mean at the same time, all the pressure shifts to the home team because all the away team needs to do is draw. If in certain instances, all they need to do is draw, like in Here. the Portland game, Jonathan Yardley, Houston. Dynamo road record from 2011 to 17, 119 games, 18 wins. Playoffs, 10 games, 5 wins. Well, how- it's it's mind blowing, mind boggling. And like 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 I said, don't underestimate the point that that some of the that it just it, it's doesn't it doesn't make sense. Portland had more pressure than Houston. What? What? Why? why all listen to this. All Houston had to do was get a draw. Yeah, Portland had to win. 
So, how does that make sense? Hey, that's a good point. Maybe get away, get a get rid of the away goal. Get rid of their get rid of their away goals and maximize the home field advantage for the teams um, that are higher seed. Let them host all the games. Let the team that frankly struggled in the regular season go on the road. Let them prove their worth. If they can prove it and finish top of the group, guess what? They host they host the they host the uh, semifinal round. Take a nice take a little break. Host semifinal round. Grant Raw has a schedule out by the way. That I do agree with that bypasses the uh, international uh, break schedule. Yeah, and yes, uh, yes. yeah, uh, he, had, he I, and like I said, I don't agree with Grant Wall on some things, but I did agree with this this playoff format he has. And I really think it'd be an interesting change from the common playoff we see right now. I just really hope they don't go single elimination, Stephen. I feel like it's just too lucky. No, single elimination is not going to grow this league. In, in terms of excitement, it's not like the NFL where every like there's a progress to the Super Bowl. It's going to be cagey. Well, that too, but it's quick. It, single elimination is too quick. You need the two-legged series. It's it's almost a soccer idea to have the two-legged series. I don't think that's going away. Now, the group stage, eight teams kind of do uh, basically, you know, it's the Confederations Cup. You basically, some, yeah. Basically, that's what you do. And maybe you want to put a twist on it. Yeah. You make the semifinal round two-legged. I mean, if you want to. I feel like... I feel like you don't. I mean, you could, but I feel like it might extend it a little too long. Um, I think making it that that one that one game, it seven games to make the world um, to win the MLS Cups a lot. It is. That's, that's my thought. Anyway, and so, and so before we wrap up, um, I just I just want to say I I really hope MLS looks at Grant Wall's idea and says that might be a good one. But are they, they need to figure are out- they because sometimes they got the head somewhere up in the sand or something they don't pay yeah attention. Ex- exactly but they gotta figure out how to do the compensation for a four seed they gotta figure out a few kinks if they can figure it out and get this implemented they need to do it they have money it's a brilliant idea they it's got a, it's a good idea yeah, yeah well good ideas hard to come by in sporting leagues it feels like anyway listeners follow us on twitter unc sam soccer pod special shout out to sebastian salazar espn fc check him out thursday and friday he'll be hosting it he was on the show. Don't forget that. Don't uh, forget. Armand, you can follow him at Armand Kafai, Steven Jodrand. We'll be back next week with some more MLS and U.S. men's national team. Go Switzerland. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.